Love you, Marco. Uh, more impressions, please. <laughs> I like your stuff. It's much more spicy and interesting. Where the hell did that come from? Uh, I love you, Marco. Oh, my God. You're a great interviewer, a great conversationalist. I just never forgot you. <laughs> <laughs> Babble Bullshit and Beyond is a new podcast hosted by me, Marco Kiris. A man coming out of the shadows after a long decade working with Nicolas Cage, or as I like to call it, my cage wage world. Just some fluff and then some stuff on the party that unites us through pop and all things Hollywood. Today on the show, we have acclaimed Greek classical guitarist and musical composer, Spiros Exaras. He joins us from New York, where Spiros performs regularly at various venues in the vicinity. His main focus is on creative composing for his love of jazz and Greek instrumental compilations, of which he has produced several over the years. So, um, Spiros, welcome to the uh, to the show Babble Bullshit and Beyond. It's a light-hearted podcast of just fun and fluff, uh, commentated by me, the serious fluffer, which I feel like I am. <laughs> um, so I just want to clarify on the name, Spiro. I am, of course, of Greek extract. And you are the real thing from Greece. And I just want to ask, so it's Spiros Exaras or Spiros Exaras? It's Exaras. You know, in, in Greek language, um, the accent doesn't always go at the end, but um, it can go a little before or a lot before. So in my case, it's uh, Exaras. Okay, wonderful. We had met uh, briefly while you were performing and uh, playing for the Broadway actress and singer and dancer, uh, Nancy Tickerton in this cute little bar. And I didn't realize that she was such a wonderful singer and dancer. And I had no idea that obviously you knew her and you accompanied her on many occasions and, uh, and play for her in this particular bar. It was by Madison Square Garden somewhere, I think. Uh, yeah, it was close there on 31st Street uh, between 5th and Broadway. It's a nice uh, wine and chocolate bar. It was nice. And there you were in the corner, what looked to be like a, an enclosed patio area playing modestly, but when I read your bio, it doesn't read modest, uh, meaning there's so much information and so much work there. To see you just humble as a musician kind of threw me off, and she's wonderful. She's she's one of my favorite singers, uh, to tell you the truth, that I've ever worked, and a uh, wonderful person. Yeah. She was all smiles while she was singing. So that's where I met you. I just wanted to let audience members know that. So Spiro, you graduated from the Athens Conservatory of Music with degrees in classical guitar and composition. Mm -hmm. That was a long time ago. Back then, was that something that would be of norm for people of, of our age group? I'm going to say that was probably the 1970s. No, it was, it was much later. When I... Uh, completely graduated was 89. Oh, okay. Yeah, took all my diplomas because it was many years, you know, 11 years of studies, you know, so. Oh, oh my God, really? I mean, he, the way the way the system worked back then, um, it was uh, on the conservatory, you could start it earlier in your in your teens mm -hmm. and, and, and continue the, the studies. Today, now they have created universities as it is here. So it's much less here. You, you get more knowledge in less years, you know, uh, today. So in four or five years, you can graduate as in all schools. But back then, you could get the same knowledge in, in, in longer time. That's all. Okay. That doesn't mean I studied 11 years uh, as a doctor, so don't worry. You know? were, you, were you always infatuated by music? 
Yeah, I somehow started uh, very early to play professionally uh, in the age of 16 or so. I had the opportunity. One of my teachers was a violin player and uh, I was doing a special lesson with him that is called um, uh, chamber music, you know, when you have like two or three instruments together, you know, it was part of, of my studies. And, and that violin player, uh, he said, okay, you are my best student and I want, I want you to come and play with my band. Uh, we're going to have some concerts, blah, blah, blah. And that's how I started playing with him. His name was uh, Yorgos Despotidis. And uh, in his ensemble, and he had a couple of famous Greek singers back then. Uh, today, actually, one of them is the most famous Alkistis Protopsalti, if you know her. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's, one, she's one of the biggest stars, you know. So I had the opportunity to enter very early the professional field of music. And to tell you the truth, my, my hidden desire was to become a, a, a surgeon, huh. a neurosurgeon, believe it or not. But I had love and passion for music, but uh, also I really loved all the medical work and everything, you know. And uh, But because music got me very early, as I said, at the age of 16, I started playing with all of these people. I entered so early in the magical world of music that then it was difficult to leave it. Wow. Let me ask you, were your parents supportive? Actually... Yes, they did support me. And um, I remember my father kept saying only, I mean, make sure at least uh, you could gain some good money. You can earn some uh, decent money because we all knew that artists always suffer economically, you know. And I said, don't worry, daddy. I was very young back then, super active. And I had all of these uh, dreams and and passion. I said, don't worry, I'll make it. You know, it's going to be fine. So and then I was inviting him, them, you know, my parents to come to my concerts and they were so proud. So they were seeing that I'm, I'm, I'm going into the right path, you know, for, uh, for success. And were you almost, uh, even though you are a classically trained guitarist, were you almost kind of like a rock star, kind of like a cockatiss? When I started playing classical guitar, at the same time, I had a rock group, my first rock band. We were playing Carlos Santana and uh, Deep Purple and Led Zeppelin and all of this, uh, you know, the 70s was very hard in rock music. And I, I, I remember I asked my first ever teacher, I said, I love classical music, but I also play in a rock band. Do you think that is a bad thing? Would, it, would that conflict my classical skills? Is that okay? He said, listen, play as many things as you would like to play, as many different styles, but never quit the classical guitar. That's, I guess, the root. Yes, that was a great advice. And I listened to him and I never regret it because he was so right, because classical music music is the foundation Mm -hmm. it gives you the knowledge it gives you the discipline not any other music gives you yeah but as i said i was always curious in other styles of music so i played rock for years and then when i wanted to go a little deeper Mm -hmm. in rock music i ended up in jazz because you know the deeper you're searching then it leads you to the deeper paths which is jazz and jazz is a magical world one very significant record of jazz made me uh, turn into jazz. I was in Monastiraki, uh-huh. kind of a flea market in Greece with my with my brother, just uh, to to buy some blue jeans and stuff like that. And I hear a sound that I've never heard in my life. The story was playing, so I said, "What is this?" It was like a guitar with something. I couldn't really figure out, but I could hear the guitar. Different style. It was not rock. It was something else, very melodic, but very 
interesting sound. So I go to the, the manager and said, what is playing? Uh, he shows me a vinyl back then. He shows me uh, George Benson's uh, recording in flight. Oh, okay. What I was hearing was George Benson doing the scatting when he's playing the guitar and sings his solos at the same time. Mm-hmm. Like, he does, you know, the same thing yes. plays on the guitar with his voice. We call it scat in jazz music. And that was like, I said, oh my God, this is incredible. You know, I like that. You know, so I start searching, what is this? What is that? And then here is Miles Davis. Here is John Coltrane. Here is that. Here is this. Uh, and uh, I said, wow, that's a really, really, really great uh, kind of music here, you know. And I started exploring uh, jazz. So, Speedo, all this was in Greece. I'm guessing this started in the, in the, uh, in the 80s then. Late 70s. I started playing guitar in 77. And at the same time, I was had the rock band, you know, and around uh, maybe 79 or so, I discovered the George Benson's record. Uh-huh. At the same time, where I used to live in Athens in the Zografu, right, right underneath my apartment, it was uh, a store that uh, a guy had. This guy was a musician, also he was a pianist, and he had a lot of great, great collection of records. So what he was doing, he was uh, also mentoring me. He was saying, oh, come down to listen this, to listen that. So he really, really influenced me in a lot of different styles. He was putting me Earthwood and Fire. I didn't know who Earthwood and Fire were back then. Wow. He says, Steely Dan, listen that, you know, Asia, that album is still, wow, you know, what music? It's still wow. Yeah, it's still wow. So... I was uh, exploring all of these um, different styles through him, through friends, through myself, you know. So I had information from all over and I said, okay, classical music is fantastic. It gives me a lot of things, but I like all of them. I like a lot of other things. I like rock, I like jazz, I like soul. And that's how I grew up with a lot of different kinds of music and I loved all of them. Isn't that something to be in Greece, in Athens, where, you know, you could only hear what you can hear on the radio, which was not much from Earth, Wind & Fire to Santana, and to pick it up and then to learn. Your mind must have been buzzing in your early years. Yes. In classical, I was studying with notes and a teacher. The other styles, I somehow picked them up by myself. Like, uh, I remember back then I had a tape player, and I was putting, uh, I remember the first solo I was ever able to match, like by listening to that, was... uh, Smoke on the Water by Richie Blackmore. You know? <laughs> oh my God! Was that Deep Purple? Was that the band? Deep Purple, Deep yeah, Purple. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and and I was putting the tape. I was going back to see. Oh, what is he playing here? I was putting again uh, until they find the right notes. And I was trying. That's how I was trying to figure out the solos. You know, back then there was no technology. Now today you open up the internet and everything comes boom right yeah. away. You know, in a in a second. Back then, all you had to use was um, whatever you had, you know, and uh, your ears and a little, little bit uh, tape player or uh, vinyl or whatever, you know. Yeah, but you accomplished all that. That's amazing that you would do that. Did you play that music as well in Greece? Yes. Really? Yeah, absolutely. I was playing with with the different bands and then also later on the one they would hire me, some of them they require like electric guitar with pedals and so yeah i was a- able to explore all of these sounds wow that i mean i think it's fascinating because you had to self-explore and self-teach yourself you know all that music it wasn't readily available every day especially in a country like greece yes uh, but 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 with the friend with the help of my friend downstairs i got the opportunity to to explore more styles of music because as you know one station could play only rock 
rock music, okay, you know rock, but uh, all of them, to play all of the styles together, there was not any station, you know. Uh, but thanks to this friend of mine who was another Spiro, he had all of these great collections from a lot of different styles, and he was really educating me, you know. It was, it was really, really, really great. Wow. Do you feel like you can switch it on and switch it off for one song to the next and play classical, jazz, Afro-Cuban music, Greek, a film score? Absolutely. Absolutely. I have them right away. Yeah. That's amazing. I mean, I saw that when you were playing for Nancy because that was the, she was doing more show tunes. And I thought, oh, he's playing show tunes. Then I'm listening to your music and I'm thinking, well, none of these were show tunes, but he was playing show tunes like... He was always playing show tunes. You're obviously adaptable to all all kinds of music. I am, but you can see also that on my works, like uh, all the CDs, my personal CDs that I'm doing, they're all different each other. Like I have, I have uh, my first CD, which is not my music, but I adapted uh, 15 songs of Kostas Hadzis. There are classical guitar. Then my Phrygianics album, which is all original music, it's a kind of uh, jazz, but putting Greek elements into that. Then I did the record with Elio Villafranca, who is a Cuban pianist. Then uh, I have a lot of Cuban elements there. And then uh, last year I, re I released a record with Greek music uh, uh, based on a legendary Greek poet, Iakovos Kambanelis, who was the father of uh, modern Greek theater. And I have totally different style. There, there you can see compositions they, they are based on classical and Greek and uh, New Orleans or jazz. Even I have, I, even I put a rapper mm -hmm. uh, for first time. A rapper does uh, like deep poetry, you know. And uh, so I have all of these different kinds of works. And they're all original, yes. from what I I see. So you wrote them and you played them. Like the Phrygianics was in particular something I'd never really heard of from ever before because you combined Greek elements to that. As well, which I picked out. Not that I'm an expert in Greek music, it complemented it. It was, I, I was just like, what? What is that? What? I gotta hear this again. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I'm actually, I'm blown away by it. Recently, they started uh, doing uh, this kind of similar thing, like putting uh, Greek elements or Balkan elements in their music. I'm talking about Greeks. But when I did it, I was one of the first to create original music combining these two worlds and then as, as uh, I started going out of course exploring the city and I was going to different clubs I, I, I go to club and I hear like Latin jazz I hear like the Latinos playing jazz but putting a lot of their elements then I go to Brazilian I, I listen like they play jazz but with Brazilian elements then I go to African and I said wait a minute all of these people they're Latinos but they don't try to play like John Coltrane what they do is playing jazz but they're putting a lot of their culture in their music I said hmm why don't I do that I mean uh, Greeks who have such a rich musical culture and, and rhythms and melodies and scales, unbelievable. And uh, that's how that came to me, like by, by exploring the city and seeing all of these um, different, you know, kind of, of music, uh, the, everybody was uh, uh, contributing a, a lot of uh, elements of their culture. I, I, I felt bad. I said, this is wrong what I'm doing. You know, the right thing to do is to import some Greek culture into jazz, that might give me something more interesting, you know. And that's how Phrygianics um, was created. That's brilliant. 
and I think you should do actually more of it. Actually, I'm, I'm, I'm preparing my next recording, which is the follow-up of Phrygianics. But what happened is back then, see, the record labels, that's, that's the mistakes they're doing, you know. I was sending out uh, uh, my music for someone to pick it up, and they could not probably understand it. It was, uh, I'm talking about the record labels. They, 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 they thought it's not uh, sellable. They don't understand that sellable is something that is unique, something different. Because, you know, they work with certain patterns, you know. When Nora Jones came out and she sold like 12 or 13 million copies on the first recording, then everyone in the labels was trying to create it, uh, something like that. But that's that's wrong. You cannot create something like that because Nora Jones is Nora Jones. There's nobody else like her, you know. Uh, they don't understand that um, you have to be different. So anyway, in the end, uh, I was lucky enough and I and I was signed by Blue Note in Europe, not in America, though. I mean, it's the same company, of course, uh, big, big uh, jazz record label. But uh, that was a big uh, step for me, you know, that uh, my record was out with Blue Note and it was all over the world in all the shelves. Back then, there were still existing um, record stores. How lucky, how lucky we were. Oh my God, we were so lucky. I still have over 400 vinyl records. I have a turntable downstairs in my basement with big speakers. Yeah, and, and CDs, I'm, I'm saying, like, uh, I still remember Tower Records and all of the stores that we used to hang and, and, and listen, all of these new releases and blah, blah, blah. So anyway, my, um, so the Phrygianics album, I was lucky enough and it was all over. And that actually get me to the next step, you know, gave me a little, a little boost to my music and my name, you know. Mm-hmm. Because you've you've done a few CDs, uh, a, a very nice one which I was listening to, the Old Water New River. In addition to the one, the Greek one, which brought you into America, the Hadzis one, where you did a classical modern twist to his classical Greek music, was that released and successful in Greece? Well, not really, because uh, Greeks want to hear music with lyrics. The uh, Greek audience is not so used to instrumental music. So uh, the biggest sales, of course, the, the, the CD went pretty well. It was, uh, back then it was still vinyls. It, it was released in vinyl and CD. But most of the, most of the sales were made in, in abroad, Greeks in abroad. Like uh, I was, remember getting uh, uh, emails from Sweden, from later on, you know, from Sweden, from Australia, they were asking me for uh, for the charts because I did all of these arrangements, special arrangements, and and at some point they discontinued the CD in in Greece, and when my Phrygianics came out and it was a big success all over and especially in Greece, then they re-released the uh, the Kostas Hazisi with a different cover. Oh. They lost everything. That's how stupid they are. That's what I'm saying. They, their record labels. It's not a coincidence yeah. that we are where we are uh, in the music industry. One problem is, of course, the internet, but the other is all of this, this bad management and people that they did not know what to do. It was wrong people in, in, the, wrong, in the wrong positions. So anyway, they had lost everything. And uh, Costa Hadzis had to ask me to make him a copy from the only one CD that I had at home and I sent it to him and then from that oh they God. remade it and they re-released it with a different cover, you know. So that's that, that's the story. Wow, that's very interesting. And I think this could do fairly well. Absolutely, but as I said, they are afraid. They are afraid because, okay, 
I've never heard this before, as you said, but uh, is it going to sell? I mean, of course it's going to sell Quality because is there. it's your... It's your responsibility to promote it. You know, I I do the 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 biggest part. I think the most difficult part is to create yes. to create something unique, right? And then it's your responsibility to make it sell because it's different. Otherwise, it's not gonna sell if if it sounds something else. I mean, maybe it's gonna sell, maybe not. You know, it's not different. But uh, that, that but. It requires a lot of work from them and energy that they are not willing probably to to invest, you know, on this time or energy. And today, especially, they all go for really big names, you know, yes. like uh, more than ever. I've been trying to find, uh, you know, a, a booking agent, for example, now and. Uh, I have difficulty, you know, because they all go from the really, really big stars or nothing, you know, so it's it's really difficult. It's really difficult. Yeah. Everybody's trying to cash in and trying to to make money off of everybody else, and so it's it's such a follow me the leader, and there's very little room for originality. Exactly, because the mainstream it comes from the record companies or individuals who are paying money. Back in the years, back in the years like 70s and 80s, it was not like that. It was like a every every producer, or radio producer, if he liked something, he would play it. Today, there is not that freedom of choice, you know. They go to them, listen, this is the list, that's what you're going to yes. play. And that's the most disgusting thing, you know. That's why you hear the same mm -hmm. and the same and the same on the radio stations, you know. It is. Yeah. They're all controlled by big companies. Exactly. They all have the same format, the same songs, the same pre-recorded stuff. I hear from every city that I go to, and it turns me off. So it was a breath of fresh air <laughs> to hear something very different. And I know that you've done compilations with a bunch of different um, artists as well. I mean, over the years. So I'm guessing that that kind of tied you in playing with different artists, playing on their albums, mm -hmm. playing in certain clubs with these people. Absolutely. I, I was lucky enough to have a work with uh, wonderful musicians and performers all around the world. My biggest first shock <laughs> was in 1990 uh, when I was still in Greece uh -huh. and they called me to perform with Shirley Bassey. Mm -hmm. at uh, wow. at the Acropolis Theater, you know, and I said, wow. what, you know, I couldn't believe it. Uh, I, I felt it was like somebody was joking with me, you know, and apparently he was not. And uh, I had the opportunity to perform with her. That was like my first huge influence in my life. I, I still remember I, I was so nervous. <laughs> I was so nervous on the rehearsal. I had to do an arpeggio, arpeggio on the guitar, like something like that. Oh, okay. But I was so nervous that I see the 16th notes as eighth notes and I play half time instead of playing double time. That's how nervous I was. And I still remember the, the conductor was British and he goes, uh, guitar, could you please play these eight, uh, 16th notes? And I said, oh my God, I felt so terrible, you know, because... But you were young and this is Shirley Bassey and you're still in Athens. I, I was young, but I was... Uh, yes. But I was nervous. That's the problem because uh, that was the simplest thing that I could ever done, you know, but uh, because I was nervous, I, I didn't read it well, you know. And then on the, on the, on, on the concert, I still remember sometimes I couldn't focus on the chart. I was... I was seeing Shirley Bassey doing like beautiful red dress like that, you know, like uh, opening up and 
and all like 6,000 people were like uh, going crazy with us. It was fun, fantastic. That was my first uh, really great experience. Then the second experience came right after that oh. with the Kostas Hadzis tour in Greece, all over Greece. Love that man. And uh, a, a, a peasant gypsy to become the most successful oh celebrated God. musician and composer and singer of all time in Greece. So you, you tell me about that story? When his uh, friend, uh, a flute player, called me to be part of, of, of the Kostas Hadzis band, I was thrilled. I said, oh my God, you know, but I didn't expect it would be so deep. I remember when we were going out on, on tour, on concert, the first half of the show, Kostas Hadzis was playing by himself, only him with his guitar singing. Mm -hmm. And we were waiting backstage, you know, and then on the on the second half, he was putting uh, out the ensemble and we were playing with him. But I remember I was crying. It's first time I was crying. I, I like I was listening or sometimes I was going on the front as a, an audience and I couldn't believe that the guy was mesmerizing, was uh, unbelievable, unbelievable artist. It, it was such a great experience. And then, of course, um, the album I did with him, it came through the tour because one day he comes backstage and he said, Spiro, can you help me do this song for a classical guitar? And I said, absolutely. So he had a, a song and, uh, and I'm trying to help him, you know, I said, OK, you can play like this, like that. Say, oh, yeah, yeah, that sounds great. Thank you. When I do that, I said, wait a minute, nobody has ever done his music into classical guitar. When don't I do it? So I go and I ask for a permission, I said, uh, Mr. Costa, I was calling him, you know, Mr. Costa, would you be interested if, uh, would you give me a permission to start working, working on some of your songs and try to make them for classical guitar? I want to publish a book, I said, for my students, uh, play your music on classical guitar. Oh, he said, absolutely, I'm going to get you in touch with uh, with my publisher, publisher, blah, blah, blah. How amazing is that? How amazing was that? So I started working on, on the first like four or five songs. They're coming out really nice. So as soon as they come out nice, I go and, and play for him. And then we have the idea, wait a minute, why instead only of a book, why don't we release a CD as well? So it will be out CD and a book. I said, hmm, that's even better. And that's what we did. So uh, I did all of these 15 songs and uh, a, a nice book came out with the same cover as the CD and the CD came out and vinyl back then, as I said, we were still that that came out in 93. How exciting. So that was my, my first uh, personal recording because uh, it was not my music, but uh, I, I was the guitarist and uh, I did all of these arrangements, you know, so it was very uh, important for me to, to come out with such a work. Speedo, that's not just such a work. That is phenomenal. That's a, it's a huge accomplishment. In addition, a few years later, you got yourself a jazz ensemble. Yeah, here we come that I was saying a little earlier, the jazz ensemble came after all these uh, endeavors I had of trying to put out my music as a jazz musician, but I was not really successful. And I had the idea of uh, incorporating Greek music into jazz. And that's how I created then the jazz ensemble, mm -hmm. which uh, took me a while to pick the right musicians for that, because it's not easy for every musician to adapt and, and play other kinds of music. You know, even the a lot of great jazz players, they can't really play odd meters, which is a seven eight or nine eight that we have in in, in Greece. You know, mm -hmm. or, or being being able to understand the concept of of that music. So it took me a while, but thank God to New York that is full of amazing musicians and 
exposed to a lot of different styles of music. I found the right ones, the best ones, like the bass player is playing on my record is uh, Matt Garrison. Mm -hmm. He's the son of uh, Jimmy Garrison, Mm. who played on uh, with Miles Davis, you know. Uh, and then uh, Gene Lake on drums is the son of Oliver Lake, a legendary saxophone player. So I had all of these uh, great people uh, that they, they, they have all played, uh, like Matt Garrison had played with John McLaughlin, played with uh, Herbie Hancock uh, and a lot of other musicians. And then I have Arto Tukboyeshian, who is uh, Armenian, but he lives in New Jersey and he does all of these incredible, incredible vocals, uh, wordless vocals and plays the percussion and gives gives a special taste on my music. And then I have that the Greek-American wonderful clarinet player, Lefteri Burias, who is a fantastic player. And he's one of the best even in Greece and gives these nice textures with his clarinet and, and, and the recorders and all of that. And then Henry Hay on piano, who was in different kinds of music. And also he was a musical director for George Michael and Rod Stewart back then. But he's a wonderful jazz player as well. And he understands uh, classical and world music, which is very important. And of course, me leading everyone and have my compositions and try to explain the right amount that we have to put of Greek music and the right amount we have to put of uh, jazz or um, classical or any other uh, kind of music and, uh, and trying to create a fusion but not a confusion. <laughs> and it doesn't sound like it's a confusion. It does sound like it's a fusion. Are you gentlemen still together and potentially going to do another CD? Recently, I hadn't really played with this ensemble. Uh, first of all, I have 11 compositions ready and I'm about to record my new album, which is all based in Greek mythology. We can talk later about that. But I'm going to use some of these musicians. Uh, I don't know yet because, as I said, uh, for a while uh, we haven't toured because uh, I have not really done anything with this particular ensemble because I've done other things. Uh, you know, I had to go from some other paths and create some other projects. But now that I'm going to go back to the ensemble, it's very possible to have if not all of them, most mm-hmm. of them back together. If not, I may have to do a couple of changes because it's been some years since then. And I'm going to have definitely an additional Greek-American musician who plays uh, who plays Kanun uh, and he plays the Greek lyre and a lot oh. of these uh, wonderful, wonderful Greek instruments. Yes. And uh, on top of it, he is classically trained from Juilliard, the flute player. So he is a multi-instrumentalist that he plays all of this wonderful stuff. And my new songs are all based in Greek mythology. Uh, They are all inspired by certain myths or uh, incidents of certain myths. And I'm going to incorporate a lot of different sounds there, like from rock, hip hop, jazz and Greek and all of this together. You know, it's going to be really, really exciting. Yes. I want to ask you something. In the early O's, you started to do film scores. And it seems to be a series of films for a few years. The Everything for a Reason, Nico's Restaurant, Galathea. What is the process of where you hired because of your musical talent? Or um, I guess so. Uh, let me speak for the first uh, movie I, I did, uh, Everything for a Reason, mm-hmm. that uh, was created by the uh, Parlapanidis brothers, uh, Charles and Blas. Um, they are from New Jersey, but they live in uh, LA now. Very successful uh, guys and uh, wonderful kids. And the executive producer was Larry Maestrich. Um, he was the owner of, or president or something of a shooting gallery back then. Mm-hmm. What happened is, uh, as I heard the story, 
afterwards. So one day, Vlas Parlapanidis calls me and he tells me, he knew me from the past when he was younger. He had used some of my pieces that I had in some short films he did. But he calls me one day and he says, listen, I'm doing this film and I have one very important scene of the movie that I want you to compose music. I said, really? Okay. So he came home and he explained me the scene. Uh-huh. Uh, I think he gave me also the movie. He, the movie was not edited yet. It was very in a draft or something. It was a scene that anyway, it was a, like a couple, a romantic couple, but the, 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 the boy was a writer and he would have to move to LA. So they had to split up, you know. And uh, that was the the scene about. It was an American film, right? It's an American film, yeah. By Larry Maestris was the, the the executive producer. Yeah, it was. Uh, I'll tell you all the story because it's it's funny the way I entered, you know. So um, I tried to create something, and then I call him after like a week. Vlas, I said, come home. I have something to play for you. So he comes home. We both sit on my couch. So I put the the tape he gave me with the scene. I put the scene on, and I grab my guitar and I start playing the song. And and Vlas st- starts crying. I see the tears and he says, oh my God, he said, this is incredible. He said, okay, can you do a little recording and uh, send it to me so I can play to all the other people? I said, yeah, sure. So I, I did a recording, I gave it to him. So he calls me after a couple of days, he says, you know what, you're gonna do the whole movie. I said, really? <laughs> so to tell you the story, what happened is, and they told me later, they had hired another guy mm-hmm. who was, they said he was brilliant. He, he studied like uh, specifically music for films. So they gave him money. They told him to do this. So what he did, it was good, but nothing matched to the scenes. Mm-hmm. So they told him to try again. So the guy asked for more money. They give him more money. He's trying a second round. Again, the same problem. So nothing. So that's how, and Vlas has Talk to them about me, but they because they did not know me, they did, that guy, they knew him and they trusted him. But yes. obviously they, they saw that it was not the right guy. So when Vlas told them, let me try my guy, you know. So when I did that one scene, they got so excited and they, they told him, okay, that's the guy. Give him the whole movie. Of course, all the money were gone because it was small uh, independent production. So there, yes. was, there was not money for me, but I didn't care. They only gave me money for a few, a few bucks for the studio and musicians. I said, at least I need to pay these people. I said, it's okay, I'll do it. If you don't have money, it, it, it's fine, you know. Uh, and I didn't care, honestly, because they were nice guys, they were friend of mine, and they gave me that opportunity, you know. And that's how I ended. But we were not lucky because uh, when the movie was finished and editing, it was about to be released with shooting gallery back then. Yes. Something happened and shooting gallery uh, broke up between the partners and... Um, we lost that opportunity. So that movie was never officially released, unfortunately. Was it ever released on DVD or VHS back then? or Still, it has not been released. As far as I know, I think they're trying to release it now, believe it or not, you know, but uh, mm-hmm. maybe it will be released at some point. Uh, but that gave me the opportunity to meet other people. And then, then other people approached me because of that, mm-hmm. because they saw that, uh, okay, I'm able to match the scene with music and create some proper music for uh, certain scenes. So then Nico Restaurant came, then um, Galatea was a theatrical play by Tim Browning, a director who knew me from the neighborhood. And uh, some years ago, uh, Paul Krisikos uh, approached me and he did another short film, uh, Just Cause. And I did a very interesting uh, kind of music with a lot of uh, guitar effects, uh, very, very, very different from other stuff. It was so very different. It was like, whoa, that's the same guy who did 
you know, Galatea who did the, I was like, this is amazing. So I was listening to it. And I thought the variety was, was, you know, it's spanning. Yeah, because that's, that's my thing. I like a lot of different kinds of music. I grew up with a lot of different kinds of music. Mm-hmm. And, and because I like all of them, uh, I think I'm, I'm pretty adaptable to, uh, to several styles, uh, playing-wise and composing-wise. Mm-hmm. Do you think that you would continue um, trying to work on musical scores, which is a very difficult thing to do to break in? Oh, I love it. I'm looking for the big opportunity. I'm ready to do something really, 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 really big. You know, I love, I love doing music for movies. It's one of the most enjoyable things for me. It's one of the things I really, really like to do a lot. I always had one question for you from the very beginning. It's going to kind of be one of my last questions. Why haven't you decided to work on Broadway as a, as a musician and be a part of an orchestra for a Broadway show? Actually, I thought of it uh, even years ago. I, I tried to work at the, the Cape Man with the music by Paul Simon, if you remember. It was a, mu- a musical about a true story, uh, which I don't quite remember now. But for some reason, that show was down very soon. It didn't last long. But um, the guitarist, had I had met the guitarist, and I would be a sub, a sub for him, substitution, you know, whenever he was not around. And that would give me the opportunity to enter. You know, the, the Broadway is a very, very specific uh, circle. I didn't try that hard to enter because deeply inside, maybe I'm afraid a little bit of that everyday uh, commitment, you know, like uh, certain hours that I'm not sure if I want to do that. I would like to do it for a while to try it you know i've never tried to to do that you know i played here and there as i said as a sub or certain occasions with broadway stars and musicians but uh, i never happened to be part of it just because i'm not on the right uh, circle as i said maybe did not try so hard because i'm not sure if i'm going to do that you know but uh, I, I it's not something i don't like to do if if i had the opportunity i would try it i would try it i definitely want to compose music for the Broadway, that's for sure. That I, I would be thrilled if I had, um, if someone approaches me and says, okay, I want you to write music for that. That I would be thrilled. To play, I wouldn't say no, but it's not something I really, I'm, I'm sure if I want to do it or maybe for a long time. It's it's a big commitment. It's like a relationship. I, I think uh, we learned a lot about you. We learned a lot about your music and uh, I'm looking forward to your new CD. Uh, thank you so much for your kind words. Thank you for having me here. It was an honor. No, no, it was no, a pleasure. And um, thank, thank you, you. Spiro. Thank you so much. We'll speak very soon. Okay. Yashu. Yeah. This concludes our conversation with guitarist and composer Spiro Sexadas. You can find his contact and information on his website at spirosexadas.com. And until next time, this is Marco Kiris signing off.